The Boss Barista Podcast Takeover is brought to you by Chobani. Chobani's mission is making better food for more people. And they've brought that mission to non-dairy by crafting the ultimate oat milk for food service, Chobani Oat Barista Edition. It's plant-based, gluten-free, non-GMO, and vegan-friendly. Their formula was crafted for superior performance and versatility. Whether adding to black coffee or creating the perfect microphone, Chobani Oat Barista Edition will satisfy your cafe needs and delight your customers. Welcome to the Boss Barista Takeover. A few weeks ago, I put a call out to coffee folks, fans, and drinkers across the globe to pitch ideas. Pitch me something about the podcast that they've been dreaming of making. And today we're turning the mic over to the third in our series of guest creators. Today's episode comes from Lynn Sang, who is kicking off her podcast called Pressure Profiles. Pressure Profiles is a Berlin-based interview-style show where Lynn chats with baristas and other hospitality professionals about representation and community. I knew the first two creators that you heard from. I knew some of the team behind Cafetera Intellectual, and Amanda from the Updose podcast is a colleague of mine from my time in New York. Lynn is a new friend, made through this podcasting project, and someone whose voice is especially needed. I can't wait to hear more from the folks that she interviews and how the hospitality scene in Berlin is being shaped and molded by changemakers like her. Next up, you'll hear Lynn introducing the series and her guest. As always, you can find a full transcript of this episode at bossbarista.substack.com. Be sure to listen to the end to hear more about this takeover project and learn how you can get involved. Welcome to Pressure Profiles a show born out of the need for representation and community in the hospitality industry. A new conversation in one way or another linked to hospitality will be released on a monthly basis. I want to provide a diverse and open-minded platform that can inspire people in the industry. My name is Lynn and I've been living and working as a barista in Berlin for three years, but my relationship with hospitality is lifelong. In our first episode, I talked to Amber, a close friend of mine also living in Berlin. We talk about her journey in the coffee industry and discuss subjects like exploitation, unionizing, power structures, and sustainability, and COVID-19. Thank you for listening. Welcome, today's guest, Amber Ehler. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. How are you feeling? I'm good. I mean, I've been better. The weather's not great, but yeah, I'm good. Yeah. How are you? Uh, a little bit stressed, I think. <laughs> All cards on the tables. We had uh, 50 minutes of technical issues. <laughs> I'm sitting, I'm recording from my bedroom. So I've like put up uh, a mattress on one end and closed all the doors and just made myself a cozy little space here. Yeah, that sounds cushy. It's cushy. We haven't actually introduced you, Amber, <laughs> properly. <laughs> I'm just um, your friend. Uh, you're my friend, but also if it wasn't me introducing you, because I would introduce you as my friend who I met <laughs> through my partner working in coffee, mm -hmm. uh, how would you like to introduce yourself? I would introduce myself as, so my name is Amber. I'm Eurasian, so I'm half, my mother's Malaysian, my father's German, but I identify as Eurasian because I was raised um, in a couple of different countries, but in neither of their home countries. I currently work part-time in, hospi in yeah, hospitality, um, more so in specialty coffee, and I have been for the past three years, which is the amount of time I've been living in Berlin also, and I am also a tattooer, which is something I would like to do full-time in the very near future. And so yeah, I guess that's how I would introduce myself now. Yeah. <laughs> and you're also allowed to start tattooing again, right? Mm -hmm. Very exciting news. So I think from 
the beginning of this week, actually. So everyone that I know has slowly but surely been like taking appointments and rescheduling like their previous bookings. Yeah. Amazing. You started your hospitality journey in London, right? Yeah. So I think, I think it was 2015. I was, so, I mean, just for context, I moved to London when I was 18 to go to university and I went to study illustration and I sort of had like a really great time the first year and then a really bad time the second year. And for like six months, I didn't really draw. And I was like obsessed, not obsessed, but I think like, you know, when you are growing up, most people get taught by their parents or parental figures that, you know, the thing that you have to do after you finish uni is to find a job and there are specific type of jobs that are acceptable and like seen as mature and adult jobs. So mm-hmm. um, for a couple of years, I was like trying to like fit myself into that mold. And I did a couple of marketing internships and I was extremely unhappy and I got offered this like account manager position at this jewelry company. And then two weeks before I was supposed to take the role, I said, no, I can't. And then I just started looking for sort of like cafe jobs mm-hmm. um, around my area where I was living in, in London. And I found this, this establishment called St. David's and it was like a brunch. They like, they labeled themselves as like a brunch and stress, like specialty coffee place. And I met the woman who now used to own it. She's no longer the owner of the business, but her name's Sean. Mm. And um, she gave me the job and I was there on and off for two years. And that's where I learned like about specialty coffee. So they, they at the time used Square Mile and... I got to go to Square Mile and they trained us for the Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So oh. that was like that was when that was when I like came into contact with specialty coffee. Like I mean I wouldn't say the training was like was like um intense. It was, you know, sort of like the the light introductory kind of yeah. stuff like steaming milk and and filter and espresso and you know the idea of like like single origins and blends, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to Berlin, like that's when I guess I started taking coffee more seriously because I would say that like, or maybe it was me just like not knowing of that community in London, but like I sort of perceived when I moved to Berlin that like the coffee scene was more serious in Berlin. In what way? Um... It's like, I, I guess I never really knew anybody in coffee in other places in London. So maybe it is actually just me, like being ignorant and not like networking. But like in, in Berlin, it's like when I when I started working in specialty coffee, it's like I, I met like so many people who weren't working in the same like company as me who like really loved coffee. And yeah. it was like a thing that you talked about and like something that you discussed and yeah, it was it was more like integrated in people's lives. Like it was definitely like more of a passion. But I yeah, that's I mean in hindsight that probably isn't the case with London. Like obviously there are people living in London who take coffee very seriously and mm-hmm. it is a passion for them. So yeah. Maybe we can feel that way because I think the Berlin coffee scene is quite small. Yeah. And yeah, like, that's true. There's like a very I don't want to say click, but there's there is uh, that uh, small scene within specialty coffee with people who are very very passionate about it. Yes, I like I would say like core core figures of like a, of the community. Yeah, can you? Yeah, like there there's like obviously like a very like close tight knit community, but they're definitely like core individ like individuals who like. I guess you would always like see or recognize or, or who always have something to say, which is like not necessarily a bad thing, but like, you know, are always like very like active in the conversation of coffee here. Yeah. So did you feel like you got into that scene or that subculture or? Sadly, I like, 
it's, I don't know. I feel like my journey with, with specialty coffee is very unfortunate. Like I wouldn't say that I've like completely closed my mind to it, but like basically when I moved here, I, I started working for a company that, um, I guess from an outside perspective seemed like the place you wanted to work at. Mm-hmm. And it was the establishment to go to if you were really serious about learning and working with it. And I would say like the first six months there, they were a dream because I was being trained like heavily Mm. and it was stressful, but it was like, it was a really, it was like a really steep learning curve, Mm. you know, going from somebody who like sort of like, you know, air quote, like made specialty coffee and then actually like really fucking knowing what I was doing and the product that I was, I was, I was working with. And I think, you know, when you're in coffee, like one of the the biggest things about it is that you quickly develop like a strong bond with the people that you work with. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that. And it really made me feel like I was part of something. And that was great to like, to have like a shared interest with these people who took it really seriously. And, you know, that was wonderful. But I think as that job progressed I became really unhappy because this facade that this establishment this like company had uphold upheld of itself was essentially false and as time went on it's like you sort of learn like the malpractices the malpractice that you find the, the malpractice that I found within that company was not exclusive to that company it's like most in most establishments, especially coffee establishments in Berlin, unfortunately have some sort of malpractice. And it really goes against this, this idea, this concept that they're selling to like people, their customers or like prospective customers that, you know, it's all about like the ethics and um, like being fair and making sure that every like every drink in the chain is like taken care of and like, you know, there's like full transparency and it's not, you know, it's, it's just a marketing. Well, you know, from my experience, it was just a marketing tool. And after I left that company, it's like, I worked for another place who, who used that term specialty coffee. I mean, it wasn't a specialty coffee establishment, yeah. but that was like part of what they were selling. And, you know, they too didn't take it seriously. And it came down to like, essentially one person who had a very big ego who you know was kind of misogynistic and basically undermined the value of specialty coffee and what it actually meant for people coming there who drank it and then I worked for another establishment and you know it was kind of great but then you know corona happened and then you know I I lost that job and then it's like specialty coffee like in the end didn't really do much for me you know like it didn't really like I felt sort of like I got hurt or like burned by it more than I like actually learned and like grew with it which is like unfortunate because obviously like you and I know a lot of people who still work in it and it's not that they're not they're not experiencing like this type of malpractice or like um dissatisfaction but you know they still love it and it's like I kind of do want to still love it but I feel like sometimes like I just need like a bit of a break to not think or like have to be around it so that I can reset and just like find that interest that I had at the beginning yeah so did that answer your question I'm so sorry (laughs) it does answer my question I have a lot of (laughs) I took uh, a lot of things that you were saying I wanted to ask about so do you feel like coffee was a passion that you wanted to pursue but it just the industry didn't allow for it basically I mean yes and no it's like I mean I yeah like I said in the beginning like I'm I'm a tattooer and I always tattooing is always something that I wanted to do more of Mm. but like like the interest that I had for coffee at the beginning and like yeah initially I would have like stuck with that job stuck with working with it like forever potentially part-time because I I really did enjoy it like I really enjoyed working the product and like you know from an outside perspective maybe like making coffee all day like seems like very monotonous but it isn't like that's 
that's the thing with specialty coffee. It's like so different and mm. it's so different every time you get a new coffee and, you know, learning about what people are doing with it and the way that people can experiment with it. And yeah, I could have, I really could have done it forever. And I know that like, yeah, the experience really like left a bad taste in my mouth for it, but it's also, you know, I think it's the industry, but also like part, like a little bit of me too. It's like, I could just keep going until I find a place where I feel like I'm finally in an environment that's like safe and nurturing mm-hmm. and educational, but I'm like choosing right now not to do it. So it's like a bit of both like the industry and me. Yeah. I've definitely been in your shoes, not necessarily with coffee, but mm, <laughs> probably also with coffee at one point. Mm. But I was working in hospitality uh, since, like, I grew up in a in a Chinese restaurant. So, mm. like, the family business was just there from the get-go. And as soon as you c- could start working on the side, that's pretty much where all of my family went and started working as uh, a bartender or as a waitress or in the kitchen, pretty much where you fit. Mm-hmm. And I was doing waitressing and bar jobs for so many years yeah. until I really felt like I had enough of it. And I felt like I can't, I can't do this job anymore because it feels so undervalued. Mm-hmm. And I left that industry and I was, I got my degree in social work and I, thought that that was going to be the next step for me to just stay in social work. Mm -hmm. And then I, out of a whim, basically decided to take a year with uh, a year in Australia. Mm -hmm. And of course, then I fell right back into hospitality because it's a, it's an easy way to get a job in a new country when you know the skill. Mm -hmm. But then I fell in love with coffee and I fell in love with specialty coffee (laughs) so I was definitely at that point where I felt like I need to leave the industry I need to for my own well-being Mm -hmm. and then I found a new part within it that drew me back in that's beautiful but I also think it's so different from like depending on of course uh the place of work but also the culture within different in different countries are so different yeah 100% I mean like I haven't worked in Australia but from what I've gathered from you and like Ati and Rumi it's like you know it's a legitimate like career there Mm -hmm. like you and people like really value coffee and hospitality because it's like a genuine exchange between like customer and and non-customer employer employee yeah it's also i guess the the third wave coffee scene has been there for a long time and it's it's very ingrained in everyday culture whereas i think in in germany and many parts of europe it's more like a subculture or like a sub mm-hmm. a subdivision within hospitality specialty coffee. What is that, and why is it different from just a regular coffee? Mm-hmm. It definitely is a subculture here. You're right. Um, there's still so many people I feel who are like questioning. You know, like really like you know like the customers who like come in and like judge before actually really like. <laughs> hearing what you have to say about what you're actually like representing because you know like customers always almost always think they're right and you know that's that's obviously not the case yeah what you touched upon before as well is within this specialty coffee scene there's a lot of there is a lot of highlighting like good quality, right? Mm-hmm. So you learn a lot about good quality 
product and how come it's good quality and what makes it good quality and uh we pay good money for it to support the farmers and yeah. all of these things but there's definitely a, a lag here there's like a problem with sustainability within the companies because that's where it ends sustainability within the companies is like a high turnover they're low pay and it's uh that's not sustainable right no it's not sustainable i mean it's just yeah it's exploitation just in a different in a different part of the chain yeah there's actually have you heard about high density mm, no pray tell what is this uh, Monday or Tuesday, the the Barista League put on the first event of high density. Basically, talking about different subjects within specialty coffee, basically. So high density, it was like short but dense. They had a lot of really, really good speakers. All of these are watchable on YouTube. Oh, okay, sweet. So you can basically go to YouTube, search for high density or Barista League. You have all of these events. Most of them are between 10 and 20 minutes. And there was also a really interesting one was a woman named Vava. I cannot pronounce that. Angwenji. And she was doing a talk on unlearning the colonial producer narrative. Yeah. And she also has a book called Coffee Milk Blood, which I really, really want to read. Yeah, I mean, that sounds super relevant because I mean, like, isn't like, it's also like a whole like other can of worms. This is whole sort of white man savior type. Yes. Um, approach to the way that like establishments like to market their coffee, like selection process and, mm-hmm. you know, like those horrible Insta stories where it's like, ah. Oh, you know, you're helping this family and this family, like, you know, buy food or or create yeah. their own business. And it's, you know, like, people caught off guard in working during their day. And it's just like, oh. Yeah. I mean, the, like, sensitivity and, like, the, the perspective has not been thought of at all. But also, like, sort of thank you for exposing yourself and the way that you really like see what you're doing and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think it was Bava or Eva Meister who was talking about white saverism there's a lot of good stuff on there (laughs) I think it's really like inspiring I guess Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I was sort of telling myself that that I need to go back and rewatch these every now and then just to remind myself Mm. that there are really inspiring things inspiring things happening within the industry. Mm. I mean, like, because I feel like you you're obviously definitely more like into like I would say you know it's a really big passion of yours like you work in it right now. you were very active and like what's happening in the coffee world. Like, are you more positive? Like, do you, like, do you feel like positive about like the industry that you work in or is it sort of like 50, 50 or like, how do you feel about the state of coffee? That's, (laughs) that's a huge question. (laughs) (laughs) I can try to, um, obviously I, it's twofold. Like I am positive in some ways and I'm very negative or I feel very negative about some parts of it. Mm-hmm. Also, I think I have a passion that is constantly being fed by also having a partner working in the industry mm-hmm. because his passion has always been driving my passion. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to, you know, get away from it when it's like, Hey, what are you tasting this coffee? I'm like, I, I just, I'm just having a coffee. Leave me alone. <laughs> but what do you taste? <laughs> it's just a coffee. <laughs> I'm not at work. Just have a break, okay? <laughs> but it's it's really inspiring at times. 
Yeah, cool. What was the question? Do I feel positive? Yeah. Do you do you find that it, do you find that you feel like you're positive most of the time, or is it something that you have to sort of um, practice? Like, do you have to like switch off from some of the news sometimes, or like what you see from like companies, or what you hear from your friends when they like aren't happy, or is it generally like sort of easier to be like, oh no, I love this. Like this is great. Yeah. I think I definitely I think that I, I see a little bit of positive steps in the because I, I can only talk about the Berlin industry right now. Mm. So there are there are some positive steps being taken, but overall it's there's a a conversation that is heavily like focused on how exploitative the industry is Mm. and that's that makes it hard to keep thinking positively especially when you know how much your friends are being exploited or uh, underpaid or undervalued and you face so much microaggressions and hostility and I mean you have a really interesting story of (laughs) actually i'm not to put you on the spot but you have a very interesting story about how a former employee of yours tried to exploit you more because they thought you needed a visa right yeah yeah i guess yeah i mean it's like it's horrible but obviously not as nowhere near as bad as like somebody who actually was really trapped by having to perform because they were having their visa hung over their heads. But I think, yeah, yeah it was a very like eye-opening exchange. I mean, essentially what happened was um, I had picked up some like managerial responsibilities just to cover for some, for, for my manager at the time. And that happened for a month and a new store was opening and they, asked me if I wanted to become manager and I said yes and I asked to be kept as part-time or like part for part-time hours like 30 30 around 30 hours a week and we had a few emails back and forth about like what the pay would be and I'd asked for a certain amount of pay and one day my like the I don't want to say big boss but like one of the one of the owners like came in to speak to me the one that I was emailing mm-hmm. and we sort of had a conversation about the what the job would entail like hour wise and pay wise and basically we got into it because he was not willing to pay me what I had asked which I did not think was especially outrageous or extort like I don't think I was being like I don't think I was taking advantage of all I think that's really like some like a like a a wage that I thought that someone who's in a managerial position for a really like well-known establishment should get paid especially if the norm is that most people work like a serious amount of over hours so I mean, if you're going to put me on a salary, then you might as well make sure that the salary reflects what the work you're actually going to make me do and what is like expected of me. And I guess we went back and forth a little bit about it because I was basically telling him why I should receive this amount of pay. And he was very, um, I, I guess he was getting quite flustered. And then towards the end of the conversation slash like semi-argument he sort of just said well why should I pay you more when you come here for a work visa and then just leave after a year and (laughs) also to to put into context I have like a like a German passport like a European passport and at that time I had been working at that company for a whole year so I mean (laughs) Just, you know, you know, as, as a boss for a company that wasn't really that big at the time, like you kind of should know, like, I'm not on a visa. Also like the audacity for you to say that you don't want to pay people what they're worth or what the, what the work is worth just because they have a visa Mm -hmm. is, is nonsensical. It's like, 
it's xenophobic and it's really like exploitative and like the fact that the fact that another person can say that out loud to somebody in an argument about their worth is like ridiculous because yeah any 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 human who holds like some like like a like a drop of self-awareness should know that that's not an okay thing to say especially in like fucking 2019 when this happened Mm. and yeah that's what he said and I think I was I was really taken aback but also not surprised which Mm. is like very sad but you know it's it was I took that comment really as like a confirmation that that this establishment was really rotten and it made me feel yeah, it made me feel really sad because there were so many people in this in this company that were on visas, and and you know it, they that company really makes you made them feel like they were really doing them a favor by giving them them this visa and then really taking advantage of them. You know, people working like you know crazy amount of days in a row mm. and being told that that's what they needed to do and that's what was expected that they should they should be doing and that's what everyone did in that company and that it was okay and you know a lot of these practices are legal but they get away with it because people who are on visas or or who are new to the to the country don't really have access to information about the law and or and what their rights are as workers mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it was yeah so that that was my that was my experience with somebody who is clearly not interested in like caring or knowing about the works that they employed. (laughs) They didn't even have the audacity to check in on who am I talking to and what, what is their role in this company? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. We were all just numbers really just bodies. Yeah. And I think regarding wages, I've heard a lot of, people talk about how they're not allowed to talk about their wages yeah i mean it's it's something like it's it's funny i i feel like that's also kind of a really funny thing because not funny but it's which company has employees that actually don't talk to each other you know, like, well, I don't actually understand this reasoning behind like, oh, you shouldn't talk to your other colleagues about what you get paid. I mean, like for, for an industry that like prides itself on like transparency, it's like, mm-hmm. if you're re- like, if you're really feeling okay with the way that you pay people, like the conversations between them should be fine. Like, and also they're, yeah. they're going to happen regardless, you know? Yeah. That's just how it is. People want to know, like people should be like checking in with their colleagues just to make sure that they're also like getting like a fair, like a fair deal out of their like working relationships. Yeah. I was uh, looking into this a little bit because I wanted to see, because I also worked at a place where we were told that we weren't allowed to talk about wages between ourselves Mm -hmm. and we were told, but I looked in my contract and it didn't actually say, and it's probably because it's not, uh, it's not his right to ask for that, or it's not yeah. an employee's right to ask for that. If you're not, I think there are some exceptions for like really high uh, CEOs in companies. Mm-hmm. We were told we weren't allowed to talk about it, but of course we did. But I also think there is a German culture where it's like you don't really talk about money in that way. Mm. So I think it's more prevalent here. But in the same time, you have the law that it prohibits you to pay people unfairly. Yeah, which is like the stinker of it all, isn't it? Because people act, there are employees, employers who still don't pay their workers legally. Yeah, with the wage, it's like it's legal. Yeah, the minimum wage. But in the end, we we actually ended up talking about our <laughs> our pay at my uh, a former job of mine, and we ended up realizing that we were all being paid unfairly. The person with the least amount of experience and the youngest was being paid the most, more than the head barista. Oh, that's so stinky! Mm. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was I was told that my pay was the only pay that I was going to be offered and it was a good pay, take it or leave it. And then I find out that this less experienced person is earning way more than me for, I don't know what reason, maybe their skin color. I don't know. 
just so, so rotten. Yeah. I do I do read a lot of Boss Barista. She writes a lot on subjects like these. Uh, so you can actually Google Boss Barista and there is especially one that is really good. Uh, thing that she wrote is called Don't Trust Your Boss. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of, especially during Corona, I think, there was a lot of walkouts and things happening in the States where people are demanding what they should have a right to. And there was yes. there was a lot of people that just ended up losing their jobs. And like the gist of it is like boss barista Ashley Rodriguez, she's saying, in the end of the day, you can't ghost your boss, but your boss can ghost you. Like there is a power structure there yeah. where, where an employer can do so much that will ruin your your life and your financial situations but you can't do the same in return no which I no I mean like I guess like yeah that's but I think the power that like the the thing that's great about Germany though is that like once you do know the rules of like workers rights like and unions you know you can really like take use that to your advantage to protect yourself but I guess it you have to like get through that obstacle of like actually understanding and unionizing. I think you need like something like over 50% of like the workforce, like having to actually sign up to it to actually have a union. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's like, but then also like, I feel like that you, we can't really like reciprocate this, like that type of damage to our bosses, but I think that's where like the power of like word of mouth comes into play. You know, it's like, we all know the reputation of, of, of people in this industry because we talk to each other and, you know, the way that we support each other is by not supporting these people. Mm. And because, you know, like, obviously it's, it's very dangerous for someone to come straight out and be like this person or this industry, like this company, you know, does things this way and it's really bad. And these are, this is like, I can show you how they've done it. And then, you know, the, it's sort of like dangerous for you because then I don't know, yeah, maybe yeah. like you can't really get employed in the future or like it goes south for you and people don't leave you. Marked as a troublemaker. Yeah. Like blackballed a bit, but like community, you know, you just start having these really open, honest conversations within your community. And then it rightfully spreads, you know, like this, this information that should be known, Mm -hmm. So that people can, can understand where they should be supporting and where they should not be. Mm. Yeah. Have you been a part of a union? Sadly, no. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know anything about unions in my first like place of work here. Um, and then I got let go <laughs> mm. at my second establishment, but they've just had a union, which is wonderful to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really happy for the people that I still know in that company, because I think it's been a long time coming. And I think that having a union is like really the best way to protect yourself as a worker. Did they just create a union within the company? Um, I guess it's been in talks for a while. So they were talking about having a union like... Maybe shortly after I was let go, which is like mm -hmm. a year now, a year and three months. Okay. And um, they've been doing, I think in the past like year, they've sort of been doing a lot of, like the people who wanted to start the union were doing a lot of conversing with their colleagues. But I, it, again, like, unfortunately this like company has like a very big issue with like their, their, their working hierarchy. And mm -hmm. there's definitely like a, a gap between the, people in like upper management and the people who actually work in the shops and that relationship is extremely hostile and and not very safe so I think there was a lot of like conversation happening but like not stealthy conversation but conversation that would let people know that there was a union and that they should join and that it was something that was in their best interest but like not speaking too loudly about it to be targeted by upper management mm -hmm. which is also horrible um, and I think they unionized like last month or they like made it official and they had their first meeting, which is, which is awesome. Mm. It's interesting because I didn't really hear about unions here as well, but 
from my background in Sweden, it's very, very, it's always recommended to be in a union, regardless of what sector you're working in and regardless how much money you earn. People will ask you, even your employers will tell you that you should join a union. That's really cool. It's just a part of the culture, really. And here I didn't even know that there was unions for people working in hospitality for a long time. But there are unions that you can join regardless of where you're working in hospitality and they will help you if there is any issues and if you need to press charges, for example, they will help you. Yeah. I mean, in a utop like in a utopic world, what would happen would be like I mean, especially if you're not German, like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you come to Germany, you're a very willing, like able, optimistic, like f- prospective employee mm-hmm. companies who want to offer you like a contract should be like, Oh, by the way, here's like a leaflet about an, a union, yeah. you know, like would be great if you joined like, yeah, but no, that would be a really nice thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I, I feel like a little bit, uh, like a hypocrite because I keep talking to people about you should join a union, but I haven't actually done it myself. Mm. And I guess it, it it is also always uh, an issue of you being paid very little and then you, you have to pay a little bit of that for a union monthly, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking and I still, I still, I still should join a union or get another type of uh you can get legal insurance as well i think that would also help you in that case Mm -hmm. and but that would help you in like other parts of your life as well if you have any issues with your housing i think you could instead of paying for different type of protection you can pay for legal insurance oh if i have learned this correctly but definitely, I need to figure out what I want to do. I want to get some sort of protection. And the problem is that I don't feel enough like I'm being exploited. Like, I don't feel like I'm in a bad situation. And that's why I don't feel like I need su- uh, protection or support. But that can always no. change, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you've always, like, yeah, it's true. It can always change. But I guess, like, every time we we have really talked about our jobs, it's like, you've always spoken very positively and like warmly about your working relationships and like the place that you work at and Mm. and just how much you like enjoy them yeah can't wait to go back to work (laughs) 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 yeah I haven't been at work since we were open one day in December oh so you're still fully closed yeah still fully closed but we're meeting tomorrow to see and potentially ordering some coffee (laughs) nice are you will it be like in full swing is it like all seven days or will will it just be like a a certain amount like a limited amount of days like limited hours opening hours yeah i doubt that we'll be able to be open seven days because our area is very very dead right now it's there's so many offices in that area and they're now all working from home yeah yeah, true, true, true. So it's not like when I, I walk around certain areas in Neukölln, it's really, really busy still. And when I go past my work, there's no one there. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully that changes now that things are opening up again. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the future? Like with the pandemic and... I don't know the summer coming and working do you think that it'll be different for you do you think it'll be the same do you think it'll be better than what you remembered or what you had experienced before I think this year changed everything Mm -hmm. I think it's just changed the way that we value things Of course. And I don't know if that's going to lead to something good or something bad, but I definitely really, really miss having 
that purpose of going to work and doing something that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I filled my time with other things, right? (laughs) Yes, you have a lot of beautiful new hobbies. Yeah, I have all of these hobbies that are taking up a lot of time. Scoby mama. Scoby mama, plant mama. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about you? What do you feel? So I went to work for a day, which is obviously (laughs) not very much. So yeah, I mean, I haven't been working since the 31st of October, but I went into work, like actually to make coffee on Sunday. And it was a very humble amount of time. It was like six hours. Mm. And I like... I found it extremely difficult. I am not going to lie. I'm not going to front. It was like, <laughs> I felt like I was in limbo. I was like, oh my God. But I think that's, <laughs> I can't do this. What have I done? Why am I here? Um, real existential moment. Um, yeah. But I think that's really like very much to do with like my personal journey because I feel like in the months where I wasn't working, I was really sort of like trying to understand what I wanted to do and obviously that's tattooing and why I hadn't been able to do it before, which had a lot to do with me being sort of my worst, like my most intense critic and sort of putting up all these obstacles because I, you know, in the end thought that I wasn't worth it Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any talent, which was like horrible. Yeah. (laughs) But also really good to go through because I was like, no, you do like, you are worth something. Your work is worth something. Like, this is what you love to do. You should do it. Like, why not go for the thing that you love? Like, what do you have to lose? And I think, you know, in that process, I sort of like slowly closed this chapter of like working in the place where I'm at, because if I'm being completely honest, it doesn't bring me any joy yeah. besides the fact that I can keep a roof over my head and, you know, buy groceries and pay my bills, which is, you know, a great thing. Yeah. But so it's sort of a something that helps you being able to do the things that you that you do want to do. Mm, I would say you know if we like what is that what is that like pyramid the hierarchy of needs? You know, it mm-hmm. takes care of yeah, like yeah. my most basic needs, which yeah. is like basically making sure I can sleep, eat and be inside, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, because like the, the my, also my, my workplace is slowly changing gears into what they want to represent and offer the community. And it's less to do with coffee now. It's more like food based. And, you know, I like, I come, I hundred percent support that. I think that's a really like great idea. I think like yeah. The type of food, like the place that I'm working at is like making and the, 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 the concept that they have is really wonderful, but I also would prefer not to work in a restaurant because that's not where my passion lies. I love mm. to eat food. Yeah. I like to make <laughs> food my, for my friends, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, I, I'm obviously not going to be making food there and you know, if it's not about the coffee, then I mean, I'm sort of, you know, not really that essential there. And I, you know, Mm. I kind of also don't find, you know, a massive amount of fulfillment being a server. Like I'm, I guess I'm just not really social in that way, or that's not really my calling. Mm. So yeah, I feel like that chapter is slowly closing on itself because I'm realizing that I can do what I want to do, which is great. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Hopefully it will stay open now for tattooing and all of that. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. If people want to find your tattooing and your prints, where can they find you? They can find me on dun, 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 Instagram. <laughs> um, <laughs> my handle is tattooers. It's T E N. D-R-E, full stop, <laughs> T-E-T-O-U-E-U-S-E. We'll also, we'll also link it on the Instagram, I think. Oh, so sweet. We'll make sure that, because I, <laughs> I also was interrupting you while laughing, but we'll definitely make sure that you're findable. 
Um, is there anything that, like, any place that you would recommend, like, any uh, cafe or restaurant or someone in the industry? I mean, I definitely would recommend Nano. I, like, really like the vibe there. I think the coffee's great. Mm-hmm. Um, we use Nano for our badge crew, and it's really beautiful, like, really mm-hmm. clean, very juicy, very sweet. Um, also they're like, I mean, their baked good selection isn't like popping off, but there's this like sick granola bar there. That's vegan. <laughs> For all the vegans out there, you should go get like a, get a filter and this like granola bar. It'll like do you wonders. Yeah. Is it gluten-free you think? Um, fuck. I, you know, it, I wouldn't surpri- be surprised if it was gluten-free because I feel like I saw a lot of like, a, like acronyms and I was like, whoa, this really is like. <laughs> baked mecca over here um mm. i guess another recommendation would be to check out soy division who are like a like an artsy collective they're like a community of indonesians who live here in berlin and yes. you know apart from making like really great art and um like events they make some sick food and they have like beautiful pop-ups and it's really like reasonably priced and the portions are humongous and (laughs) Ariel who's the guy who basically like runs it is like a really amazing human being um yeah that's awesome I guess that's the recommendation for Berlin yeah I'll just stand behind those recommendations I haven't been at Nano too much to or know too much about them to be able to say much but I've usually had good coffee there. They're all nice and they seem to be they seem to be wanting to make sure that they are treating their staff fairly. Yeah. So uh Nano Cafe close to Koti, Kotbusatur. Mm-hmm. And so a division that sort of jumps around. Yeah, they uh, they used to be they used to be in um by Skiller Keats, but they're actually wedding now. Okay. Because um, they, they needed like a permanent place, but yeah, they're vetting somewhere. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Amber. No worries. It's been really nice talking to you. And, and you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of Pressure Profiles. I want to remind you that these are conversations between people with emotions, frustrations, and personal experiences. That said, I welcome all criticism, but please make it somewhat constructive. Pressure Profiles is a project of passion, and you are invited to take part of it. If you want to have a conversation with me or someone else about the hospitality industry, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Pressure Profiles on Instagram. Thank you. That was Pressure Profiles. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear more stories from guest creators. Some will be launching their own podcast, like Lynn is with Pressure Profiles, and some are doing one-off audio projects. Thanks to Chobani, all creators will be paid for their time. If you liked this episode, let Lynn know. Follow her at at Pressure Profiles and share what you loved about this interview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.